What's up, church planners and church planting enthusiasts? My name is Jared Huntley, and I'm with my good friend and fellow planter in arms, Matt Hess. What's going on, Matt? Dude, not much. Not much? You chunking the deuce? (laughs) (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Yeah, Jared taught me what chunking the deuce means. Yeah, what does it mean? Tell us, Matt. It means when you throw up your fingers like a peace sign, and you're like, what's up, man? I'm just chunking the deuce. No, it's when you're saying goodbye. Oh, goodbye. From from Houston. Chunking the deuce. H-Town. Hope we have a lot of Houstonians listening to We probably don't, but that's okay. We, they need to. They should. They need this. Anyways, you're listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by everyday church planters for the everyday church planter. So whether you are a lead church planter, you're on a planting team, or you are just a fan of church planting, then this podcast is for those of you who want to get in the trenches in advance the kingdom of God. Oh, we're excited today because today is the first episode we've ever done where we're interviewing somebody. Yeah. And uh, we have got our good friend Saba Vasquez uh, on with us today. Uh, Saba, how are you doing, my friend? Doing good. Thank you guys for asking me on the show. Big fan. Absolutely, man. We are excited to have you on. Well, Saba's a good friend of ours. Um, he's the discipleship strategist for the Fellowships Network, the church planning network that uh, Matt and I are part of. And yeah. he's also an IMB missionary to Toronto, uh, ministering to one of the university campuses here in the greater Toronto area. And he is my personal favorite Venezuelan besides Jose Altuve, the second baseman for the Houston Astros. Uh, what? I'm not from Venezuela, Jared. <laughs> Wait, where are you from? <laughs> Wow, this interview started out I am from Argentina, great. man. Oh, I know. What? They, they sound alike. Venezuela, Argentina. I'm gonna I get edit, it. I'm going to edit that out. JD is from <laughs> JD is from Venezuela. That's right, JD. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, that's a good start. <laughs> See, you tried to be witty. You I tried, tried to, to be witty. witty. <laughs> well, you know what? I still love Jose Altuve, and I still love Saban. <laughs> Amen. To so, both. well, I'll, I'll, I'll redefine it. You're my second favorite South American. Behind oh, there you go. There we go. There, there you, you go. go. Well, say, hey, Saba, I wanted you to go ahead and kick us off by just briefly telling us your background and missions and kind of how you got to Toronto, because you haven't been in Toronto forever. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, fill our listeners in on your story? Well, I wasn't born in Venezuela. I was born in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start, bro. No, you know, I, I went to a seminary in Texas and um, was pastoring a church there and felt God's call to missions. So we went with the International Mission Board to Poland for a while. We interned there for three and a half years and um, really started learning a lot about uh, church planning and disciple making, all those kinds of things. And the board just said, hey, where, do you, where in the world do you want to go? And I didn't know Toronto was an option, but um, we work with uh, – there's these things called diaspora groups. And so we work with the diaspora arm of IMB in Toronto. Okay. And I serve as a chaplain at the University of Toronto Scarborough, and I help with some church plants here on the east side, um, of course, being the Fellowships Network. Yeah, you do. And I've got beautiful kids and a wife, and uh, maybe we'll post a picture of them later. Yeah, man. How many, uh, how many kids do you have? I have three kids, Sophia, Elias, and Lucy. I forgot the name of the last one there for a second. <laughs> and my wife, Erin. And uh, yeah, we, we're all loving it here. They, they just don't know any other world other than Toronto. So yeah. we feel like we're really from here now. Yeah, the uh, the bright lights of the world famous In the Trenches podcast can really get you tongue-tied. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, Sorry, hey, Lucy. So Saba is our discipleship strategist here at the Fellowships Network, and for good reason. Uh, man, he just drops, every time he talks about discipleship, he drops gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much good stuff. And so we really wanted to have him on here to, to discuss this. We've had lots of good conversations in the past, just, you know, riding in the van uh, to a retreat or, or, or just having meetings with the network. And so we wanted yeah. to kind of talk about it and share some of this with our listeners. So I guess I'll define this, kind of ask uh, Sabo, you first, and also Matt, uh, yeah. for you to chip in. Uh, define discipleship for me, because I feel like we need to start there. If you if you don't start off with a common definition, uh, then we're probably not going to be able to uh, to help people moving forward. So, what is discipleship? Yeah, let me do discipleship and disciple making in the sense that like it's a process of um, uh, head, hand, heart transformation to Christ likeness. Yeah, that every Christian should go through and then help someone else through. Amen. So that's kind of how we define it. Okay, that's good. That's really good. I would say um, the same. I mean, discipleship is helping people. We we say all the time that faith is a journey. So we've learned a ton about that, right? Helping people on their journey to become more like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think all our definitions kind of line up is, yeah. you know, ultimately we want disciples to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then we want right. them to help other disciples be that's conformed right. to the image of Christ, because that's yeah. the goal uh, of our salvation, right, is, uh, is sanctification, right? Paul says that in, in First Thessalonians, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's definitely the goal of discipleship. Well, one of, I know I've experienced this myself, and I think that there's probably not a pastor uh, that I know of, uh, who hasn't been frustrated by this, is uh, getting people to actually do discipleship in your church. Because there's n- most guys in our camp, at least, most guys that I know of know it's important. We know we need to make disciples. It's rare to find a church that's not going to at least say that. Yeah. But it's rare to find a church that's actually doing a good job mm. of doing it. Why is that, Saba? What do you think? Well, I think a lot of churches think that they're doing it, um, or a lot of church members think that they're doing it, but you know, we just define discipleship amongst ourselves. But if our people don't know exactly what the meaning of it is either, then how are they going to get involved in it? So sometimes I think a lot of members think they're doing it when they're just hanging out or when they're just doing a Bible study or when they're attending church, because that's kind of like their definition of what discipleship is. And so it it almost feels like they are doing it. But if, if we don't all have the same definition, then, you know, it could really form a disconnect between leadership and and membership. So I think that's one of the big reasons to get your definition out there for everybody to know and then, you know, start drawing a roadmap of this is what it looks like. And I'm just not sure that churches always are that intentional about either the definition or the roadmap. And that's one of the things that we try to address in our ministry, right, in the network. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, Sabi, you talk about uh, creating a discipleship culture, right? And and I think right. that would be the desire for a lot of pastors is we want it to be almost second nature. That's what I think of when I hear discipleship culture. We want this to be second nature. This is just intuitive to who we are and what we do as a church. So what are some ways that that can actually happen for a church? Yeah, yeah I like using discipleship culture instead of like a program because a, a program ends, right? Um, but discipleship culture remains. And discipleship cultures have like similar language, values, and practices, and so that's the way that you can kind of present it to your your people that, hey, we we want to create this culture. That means we're going to have to use the same language, have the same definitions, yeah. have the same values, have some of the same practices. And it's a good way to kind of like get a little more uniform in your idea of it by calling it a culture. And then 
asking people to be a part of it. And cultures, you know, celebrate the same thing. They do the same thing. They talk about the same things. So it's really cool to do that. And, and in doing that, you have to, um, you have to have some of those defined practices and values out there. And, uh, we think things like having the same pathway and teaching people a good pathway and good processes really helps with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lack of clarity is one of the reasons that, uh, we tend to have trouble, uh, establishing a discipleship culture. Right. Uh, and yeah. you've talked a lot about having a pathway, like clear on ramps, for example, and then having a clear right. pathway. So, uh, why don't you kind of explain more for our listeners? Like, cause I think sometimes these terms can be a little bit ambiguous and they also become, yeah. they, they kind of become part of the language that we say and people don't really mean what, know what we mean when we're saying it. So what do we mean? We're saying clear on ramps. What do we mean when we're saying clear pathways? What does that look yeah, like? Sure. So we use a pathway called stages that just kind of says everyone you meet is either not curious about Jesus. They are curious about him. They're believers in the sense that they believe, but maybe they don't really know how to grow. Um, they're disciples, which means that they're following Jesus and know how to grow on their own. And then disciple makers know how to help others grow. So we just have not curious, curious, believer, um, disciple and disciple maker as our pathway. And it's not really meant to be like an assembly line way of thinking. It's more like this is the stage we find people in. And then when we meet them, we just ask them, do you want to take the next step with us? And we try to give them really clear steps for wherever we find them. So, you know, when we meet a, a not curious person, you know, there are things that we want to do with them that are different than when we meet a believer who's just struggling to um, kind of learn how to feed themselves spiritually. So every single stage has some next steps that we can hand the person. But the ultimate goal, again, is not to get them down this assembly line or our pathway. It's Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. It's just this pathway describes where we find people. Yeah. And so I bet you, you could think of people in your church that, um, that they call themselves Christians. And, and I think that they are, but they're kind of stuck and they yeah. don't know how to grow on their own. And they definitely don't know how to help others grow. And, you know, having a language to their experience and then assigning them next steps that are specific to them is really helpful for you as a leader and for them ultimately to grow. So I say, but talk to us because I can already hear our listeners probably like pushing back a little bit. So when mm. I think when I think about you, Saba has taught me more about discipleship in the past five years than I accumulated like the previous 13 of my ministry. And so uh, this brother is just so dear to me and his family to ours. And uh, I'm so thankful for him and how God brought him into our lives. But I, I know when I talk about stages, because all of our churches implement stages, uh, all of them, and it's the path that we adopt and that we run on and we train our people on. And I feel like we're finally getting some ground where our, our people and our congregations, like they're getting it, right? I, I think it takes some time. But I know the pushback that I get is, well, what about evangelism? And so when we talk about like people who are curious, when you talk about people who are not curious, I just wanted to to address that because we always share the gospel with people. So what this would look like in our context is once we share the gospel and they're like, you know what? I'm I'm interested in Jesus, but I'm not ready to commit my life to Christ. Then this is the next step is what we're talking about. Yeah. Is that right? You want to speak into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, because disciple making is both evangelism That's and right. discipleship. It's not separate. And, right. And so what I like about the pathway approach is it kind of makes it one action that you just ask people where they are yep, and then ask them if they're willing to take the next step 
and then you tell them, I can help you get there. Yeah. So if that's helping, you know, a Timothy who's a disciple become a disciple maker like Paul did, or whether it's finding a woman at the well who's starting to become curious and being able to just give them the next steps. It's just asking people where they are, do they want to move forward, and then telling them, I can help you get there. So it's it's easier for me to think about it all as one action instead yeah. of two separate things. That's right. Um, but just one is essentially pre-conversion discipleship, another one's post-conversion discipleship. So I had this fascinating conversation down in the States uh, last week with uh, Jeff Christofferson, yep. who's uh, taught, taught us so much about the kingdom of God. Jeff's a um, good friend of all of ours and, and uh, he's taught us so much. He was talking about how the Holy Spirit is already gifting and doing things in people's lives, pre-conversion, yep. preparing, mm. preparing them. So he was talking about, you know, find these people. If there's somebody in your community who's like, he never meets a stranger. Hey, guess what? God might be preparing that guy to be an incredible apostle. That's going to plant apostle yeah. type. That's going to plant all kinds of churches. And so, so I love what you're saying. You know, that pathway, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, listen, you're not here yet, but I see something <laughs> in you. Right. And so I think, I've seen this, and this is when I met Sabo, where my chain, my my thinking just really shifted, because I used to, I did used to compartmentalize. I would lead people to Christ, and then I remember doing the assessment. It was like, how many people have you discipled over the past three years? And I was like, how many people have I discipled in the past seventeen years, man? I've led a lot of people to Jesus. You know, what are you talking about this discipleship thing? I preach every Sunday. That is my discipleship model. And um, but but this, it's changed my way of thinking to help people on their journey and, and Jared maybe, um, and Saba as well. Why is this, why is this necessary in our context, this whole pathway? Why is this important? Let's just talk about that for a second. Cause I think this is huge for where we are in our context, very postmodern post-Christian kind of, kind of context. Why do we need this pathway in this, in this model? Well, I'd say for me, first of all, cause we've got to multiply. Yeah, um, we've got to be intentional about it. Um, if if I'm the only one making disciples and others are not getting discipled uh, and others are not making disciples, then right. we're not going to make a dent in lostness up here. Because I mean, there's a and really, you know, we're in a very unchurched area. Our city's uh, about 99 percent far from God. Some of our listeners, maybe you're living in a place where it's 80 percent, but the reality is, is that 80 percent is increasing right now. So church, it's on the decline, right? And so we need to multiply to be able to stem that tide. Yeah. And I think that you need a clear pathway because you need something that's reproducible. That's right. If you don't have a plan, if it's just kind of ambiguous, kind of like Sabu was saying earlier, where, well, we're just meet up for coffee once a week. I mean, hey, that's better than nothing, but it's not reproducible uh, because most guys are not gifted enough to be able to just show up for coffee with somebody and off the top of their head, begin to just start spitting Bible out (laughs) and training them systematically, you know, to go through the Bible. There's there's some guys that can do that. that are really gifted. Usually they're teachers, but most are not. And not just teachers have been called to make disciples. Every single Christian has been called to make disciples. That's, that's really good. Before Saba answers, I, I was just thinking, I think we need to kind of distinguish between mentorship and discipleship. Yep. Because mm-hmm. I, I think of I think of my pastor, he, he discipled me, he mentored me, and I sat at his feet and I still do every time I'm around him, and he just drops gold after gold after gold into my life. But that is from a lifetime of following Jesus. That is from a lifetime of hardships and trials and difficulties. That is from a lifetime of being spirit led and dependent. Mm-hmm. And the new believer 
they don't have that experience yet right. to, to to tap into. So we've yeah. got to give them we got to give them a pathway to make disciples because that's obedience. Jesus says, "Go and make disciples." Well, here, here's one of the things that really grinds my gears about discipleship. Grinds right? your gears. Grinds my gears <laughs> is when we we won't we don't want to let new believers start making disciples until they've been following Jesus oh, for eight yeah. years Come on, man. and they know everything. Yeah. There's just, number one, we just don't see that in scripture nope. uh, at all. In fact, we see the opposite in scripture. Yeah. Number two, there's no way we're ever going to reach the lost if we do things like That's that. Right. We're not going to multiply. We're going to be by addition and ultimately yeah. churches are going to, you know, fall apart. I, you know, we point people out to Acts chapter 19 verses eight to 10. Paul spends two, two years uh, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, it says, uh, and so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Yeah. Eight to 15 million people were in Asia during that time period, scholars estimate. And Paul was in the hall of Tyrannus the whole time. So it wasn't him that was going out. Yeah. So within two years, these were believers that had come to Christ within two years, and they were the ones taking the gospel man. and making disciples so that the gospel was being preached throughout all of Asia. You know what's even worse, man? When we don't let new believers, we don't let, like we, we get a say in that. When when we don't um, champion new believers to go and make disciples, we are quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. Because the greatest disciple maker of all time is the Holy Spirit. And he lives in them just like he does us. Sabo, mm-hmm. tell us why it's important in, in our context in the greater Toronto area with the diversity, with the lostness, all those kinds of things. Some people, in some cases, two, three generations removed from the church. Why is it important to have this pathway at every level like we have? Well, I think one of the things we got to realize is there are pathways all around us. Mm. Um, if we look at a university, yeah. it has a pathway. Your job probably has a pathway of, of what you can do. You have to get on a certain track to get to where you want to go. Um, but my favorite example is always a dojo where, you know, they have those Yeah, man, you belts. like the dojo. Yeah, the belts on the wall. Yeah. And what's so awesome about it is imagine this kind of clarity. You walk in with a certain color belt. You know where you've been. You know where you're going. You know where you are, and you know what it takes to get to the next step. Yeah, and and that's an amount of clarity that I wish our churches really had. Now, I don't want anybody walking into a church with a different color belt or anything like that, or a patch that says "I'm on the stage." That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> so he can, I'm a disciple maker. You got that orange belt. <laughs> but imagine the alternative in one of those dojos. If everybody just walked in, no matter how old you were, no matter how big you were, no matter how strong you were. And everybody's just paired up really randomly and just practicing punching and kicking. I mean, not a lot would get done. And a lot of people would probably get hurt. And um, a lot of money would be wasted. And and you probably wouldn't really learn what you wanted to do. And yet, a lot of times our churches kind of act this way with, hey, everybody just come to everything. And hopefully you'll you'll pick it up. So one, there's pathways all around us. And just like what you guys are saying about the need to to multiply, Mm -hmm. it's really a, a, a necessity for us to make everybody get on the track because number one, it's not just a need, but it's biblical yeah. that everybody's destiny in Jesus is to become a disciple maker. Right. It's different than a leadership track. It's different than a membership track. It's everybody's destiny yeah. to become a and, disciple maker. And here's That's a concern. Good. And here's my burden, Saba, because you're saying sure. that because you're so right. It, everybody's des- If every believer's destiny is to become a disciple maker and, you know, the Billy Graham Association, we've, you know, quoted this statistic a lot. And I don't even think you need a study to, to notice this. You can just walk into your average church 
church and observe, 98% of Christians are not making disciples, meaning they are not actively sharing the gospel and leading people to Jesus and then teaching those people how to follow Jesus. So that means that 98% of the Christians in our churches are going to the grave, never having fulfilled what they were saved to do in the first place, which makes me number one, conserved for the concerned for the souls of many of the people in our church. And number Mm. two, it makes me concerned for what are we doing? Right. If we're not doing the 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 only like mission Jesus gave us to do, yeah, is to go. I'll and tell you what we're doing, man. We're 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 shuffling the chairs around on the deck of the Titanic as it's going under. And I mean, disciple making is what brings us back to the surface. It's yep. what it's what keeps us on course, man. You said something, Saber, that just triggered something in 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 my mind that we you and I have talked a lot about this, and Jared and I have talked a lot about this. I think at the beginning, when we started church planning, we thought that everybody loves these options. They need a million options. You know, they want this option and that option to grow and and everything. And what we've just learned through by being in the trenches is that people don't want options. They want to be told how to grow. So maybe just speak into that a little bit. Um, What's been your experience with that? Yeah. So part of the process of getting someone down a pathway is, you know, having, you know, material or different things that you can help get them down that pathway, especially for things that they need to learn. And I think you're right. We used to just give people a menu and say, you know, choose from this menu and do whatever you want as long as it's biblical. Um, But I think what we discovered is like when you're trying to implement this in a church, if you're trying to get that culture started and get that first lift, you really need to tighten up the menu to say, hey, just just use something that's biblical that we can all do the same thing so we're all on the same page yeah and and it's a double-edged sword because in reality the material is irrelevant if it's biblical Mm. it's really irrelevant which one you pick yeah but it's really important that you all do the same thing if you're trying to create a culture because again culture is common language values and practices that's good so yeah it's kind of uh important to get everybody on the same page but i think Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because there's no content shortage. No. Like, no. There's so we much. Got a lot of content. There's so we much don't, content. The, the pro, and that's what we keep trying. I feel like that's what I see a lot yeah, when the church man. is trying to, decide, to to solve the discipleship problem. And our answer is, let's write more content. Let's create more content. Obedience, And that man. can't be the answer. It's obedience, man. <laughs> right. I think the, the only thing you should be picky about, other than it being biblical, is can you chop it up in a way that it's stage appropriate? That's right. So, can you know, you don't want to hand someone a... a a book and that's really written for disciples trying to be disciple makers and hand it to a curious but, person. But man, you know what's so crazy is I've seen guys lead people to Jesus from the harvest and we celebrate that. And the first thing they do is they want to walk through Wayne Grudem with them. And it's <laughs> it's like, dude, I, I love Wayne Grudem. I love his book on systematic theology. And there's a place and time for that. And I think that, the again, the Holy Spirit will give that person a hunger to want to know good theology and sound doctrine because again he's the greatest south maker of all time as we as we guide and lead and give our influence but that is not the first thing they need to know how to do they need to know how to abide in jesus they need to know who the holy spirit is they need to know the holy spirit is a person not an it or thing and and how to yield to his power uh they need to know about the authoritative strength and power of the word of God in their lives. Um, so it's, I, that's such good word for you, yeah. man. From you. So this is what I've been learning lately. It's just a, it's great to have a pathway, but your process really needs to match your pathway. And so we, we've discovered that 
you know, finding where people are on our path is important, but getting them involved in something we call growth rhythms yeah. is really important, which are, are those basic things. You know, it's getting alone with God. It's getting together with other believers. It's getting active in obedience, serving, and disciple making. Those are really important to teach and let, let your material kind of teach people how to do that and then let that be the foundation and bring in the other stuff later that they'll need. Um, absolutely. absolutely. They, they need to read good theology, yeah. uh, but maybe they need to learn how to pray first. Yeah. Well, I think um, it, I want to clarify for our listeners, too, that, you know, stages is the pathway that you we use, uh, but it's a great pathway. It's not the That's pathway. Right. And I think that, yep. you know, we're not here advocating stages specifically as the pathway that everyone should use. Rather, I think we're advocating a pathway that there needs to be something just like, you know, we use the three circles uh, gospel conversation tool. Right. Uh, a lot of times we're sharing the gospel, but that's not the way to share the gospel. It's no. a way and it happens to be reproducible and simple. And we find it very effective, the same uh, as stages. And so we would uh, endorse it uh, and, you know, commend it highly to anybody. And it's a Canadian way. That's Paul Johnson right. is the one that created right. it. So it's good because it's our context, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um so, hey, Saba, uh, why don't you kind of explain to us, uh, let's put some teeth to this, to this. Oh, boy, that was tough. Let's put some teeth to this. <laughs> I had some trouble with my THs there. What, what does a typical meetup look like? What do you actually yeah. do when you're meeting up for stages? Yeah, that's good. Um, again, because, you know, your process has to help out your pathway. If the ultimate goal in a pathway is to make disciple makers, you have to have like a vehicle that is easy for anybody to lead because if the way you get people down the path is through the pulpit, then only your preacher is your disciple maker. Yeah. And if, if the way you do it is even through teaching a lot of material, then only teachers are disciple Which makers. Is problematic. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And, and it actually is a, is a good way to make disciples is through small groups and teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might not be the best way to make disciple makers. Mm-hmm. So we use these meetups, which are, you know, revolve around personal discipleship relationships, two, three, four people, um, and they'll get together and, and they'll do something really simple. They'll just look back on life for 30 minutes and, and we have a series of questions that they can ask each other and how's it going? Are you sticking to your growth rhythms? You know, who did you share with? Just whatever you want to talk about um, for 30 minutes. But then we ask people, hey, move on to a section we call look up, which is, you know, whatever lesson you're going to cover, whether it's straight from scripture or one of our little worksheets. And, and as you do that, um, it's really exploring that together instead of teaching it, because we don't want to make disciple makers have to have the gift of teaching. That would really limit who could be a disciple maker, because I don't know how many people have the gift of teaching, maybe one in 10. And um, but all of us are disciple makers. Yeah. So we go, you know, look back for a little while, look up into the, our material and then look forward or look ahead is is when we really decide, hey, this is our action plan till we meet next time. This is what I'll be working on. And then, you know, we hold each other accountable to that. And that's an old method, man. I think that's um, an, an old uh, missionary method that they've used all over the world that we've just kind of made it a little more Western friendly. Yeah. But that's basically our meetups. Yeah, I mean, I, I, say, but you kind of alluded to it in the beginning of this uh, interview, but like speak more into the head, hand and heart, because when we talk about discipleship, man, I, I, I'm being completely transparent here. OK, like all I knew about for discipleship. I, I, I wasn't brought up with um, with a culture of discipleship in the charismatic churches I grew up in. And then when I got into Southern Baptist life, we talked a lot about like discipleship training hour, which was like at five o'clock on Sunday nights before the worship gathering at six o'clock on Sunday nights. I know you know that culture, but like 
talk a little about that because for us, even in when I went into the pastorate as a young preacher, discipleship was about going through a workbook. And so it was all head oriented. And so it, it created this culture of people in our church who, who were, they thought that they were spiritually um, more uh, astute and higher than other people. It, cre- it created this real, uh, just infectious, terrible kind of mentality of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. And we looked at those people as like they were experts in, in being Christians, but man, like they didn't share their faith. They didn't, they were, they were like robots. They didn't feel empathy. They didn't empathize with other people who were suffering and in pain. So they didn't have the heart kind of stuff, the compassionate stuff. So speak into that a little bit about what that means for our listeners, the head, the hand and the heart, if people aren't familiar with that. Yeah, I think that in the West, we're kind of in love with information. And so discipleship is information dissemination. And uh, we have to guard against that. That's a, can, we can make even really good information an idol If it's everything that we're trying to do instead of uh, instead of, you know, really loving people or or even being obedient to the information that we're getting in our lives. Mm. So that's something we can learn as a global church from, you know, our our brothers in the East, that they're a little more obedience based in their discipleship. And and I just think it's good to have balance. Like, uh, yeah, we always talk about maturity is where the overlap of the head, the hand and the heart meet. Yeah. And and guys who are in a rut are usually those who are investing in one of those areas. Mm. And and it's just blowing up, you know, their their head knowledge is completely going off the charts, but the other two are kind of static. And and those guys always feel like they're in a rut. They're like, "Hey, what is the point of reading all these books? I still feel the same." Well, they probably haven't lined up their heart and their hand That's to good. what they're reading. So, just bringing that into balance, it also reflects in our meetups because essentially Look back is that heart time. Let, let's yeah. talk about things, how things are going. Look up is that head time, and look ahead is that hand time. That's good. Um, because if you let people do this, one of the, the big uh, kind of roadblocks for people not getting involved in disciple making isn't that they don't know how to teach someone to pray. It's just that they don't really know how to manage the time in a relationship, in a discipleship mm-hmm. relationship. So just getting them together and saying, look, spend a little time in each one of these head, hand, heart areas. If you don't do that, you'll have two people who will just, like we talked about, drink coffee for an hour and a half and and not really talk about too much more than how they're feeling about things. Or you'll have guys who read Romans for 90 minutes and won't do anything else. Yeah. And um, Or you'll have guys who just go serve the poor together, which is awesome. Um, but when is the time to really learn about the Lord or, or the truth? So we've got to have all three, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing I was I was thinking when you said that every disciple maker is bent in one of these directions. So every disciple maker says like, man, I, I want to go through like this huge book on theology because that's their heart. That's their passion. Right. And they're there may be a t- their teacher bent. And so that's how their view on discipleship is. But you are actually as a disciple maker, you're stunting that person's growth. If you don't just show up one day and say, hey, you know what? Uh, this is hard for me. We're going to go knock on doors today or mm. we're going to get in the harvest today, um, you know, or or understanding how you're how you're wired and how God made you as a disciple maker is just as important, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great thing that we, we offer these assessments where we ask people, yeah, where are you on the stages? And we let people tell us because they like that a lot more than us telling them. Um, but they tell us where they are on the stages, but they also tell us how they're wired. 
you know, are you more of a thinker, feeler, or doer, lets us know what their expectations are in discipleship. And then we try to massage those expectations and say, look, I know you, you say you're a thinker and, and I know information is important to you, but there are other aspects of this relationship that are important. And we try to set the table early uh, with that just so they realize, like, we're going to do some of the stuff that you really are wired for, but then we're going to stretch in the, in the places that you're not really wired for because it's important. You know, all the growth is outside your comfort zone, right? Yeah, man. I think one of the clarifications that um, is important to make as well, and this is one of the questions that I had when I first heard about stages, is that when we say uh, when when somebody is uh, you know first getting assessed for stages, right, and they're and they're self assessing, you know, am I curious? Am I a believer, disciple? We don't believe that there are like multiple tracks of of or, or percentages of salvation or something That's like right. that. We believe that you are either saved or you're not. You're either dead in your sin or you are born again to new life in Christ. Self-assessment though is is where somebody sees themselves. Is that, is that yeah. what you'd say, Seba? Yeah. Like um, we always talk about the danger of operating on a two-team mentality in ministry where you're either saved or lost and everybody who's saved is the same. Everybody who's lost is the same as far as their needs. Um, we know that that's not true, but the eternal reality is that there are only two teams, right? There are no stages in heaven. You're either in Christ or you're not, and you're either in the light or in the dark. But our earthly experience, man, is full of processes and nuances where we're we're going through these shifts and changes. And and it's something that we just have to put like uh, appropriate language to their experience and say, hey, I'm not going to talk to the person who's asking questions about Jesus in the same way that I'm going to talk to the person who tells me they hate religion, have nothing, they want nothing to do with it. I'll have two different conversations there. And I'm not going to talk to the person who just got saved that doesn't know how to pray to the person who's been in church 30 years and has never made a disciple. We're going to have two different conversations with them. And so it's just being able to find where they are in their earthly experience, but never denying, man, that the eternal reality is either you are in Christ or you are not. And and that's it. Yeah, that's good. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Our conversation with Sabo was going so well that we decided to go ahead and break it up into two episodes. So part two is going to be coming next week. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you head over to our website, www.getinthetrenches.com to listen to other episodes. And also uh, I'm posting blog posts pretty regularly up there. Uh, so we'd love for you to go and check those out. And also, uh, we could, if you could do us a big favor and just help us get the word out about In the Trenches. And uh, it's easy to do that. Uh, what you can do is you can head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. We're on all three of those platforms and head on over there, hit subscribe uh, and then leave us a rating, five star ratings only, please. And then also a written review. And that'll really help increase our exposure. And then we can get uh, this material into the hands of more planters. We'd be extremely grateful if you'd help us out with that. We'll be back with another episode, part two, with Saba on discipleship next Monday. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planners.